So Brody just called me a bludger. <laughs> Hey, this isn't news to any of you, I'm sure. That's ridiculous. I was <laughs> I was overtired. I needed to rest. Uh, you may miss Matt this week on Tuesday and Wednesday. What did you do instead of you know the job that you're supposed to be doing? I was resting uh, and crocheting. Yeah, your point. <laughs> just just for the record, by the way, crocheting is a very manly. Oh, it's a um, it's a noble tradition. It is a noble all the great men of the age and, and of crochet. A, it's a manly pursuit. Okay. And what what have they always crocheted? Traditionally. <laughs> usually suits of armour, usually <laughs> crochet and metal. Or uh, little uh, bunny rabbits. Yeah, okay, well look, just because I look, okay, I'm, I'm showing my tenderness and care mm. as a shepherd, if you will, of the flock by taking some of the wool from that flock <laughs> and making a small bunny rabbit for a heretofore as yet unborn child. I thought that was for you. You said that you're going to keep no, it yourself. No, no, no. I thought you just went to bed with it every night. The, the little hippo is for me. Ah, right, okay. <laughs> Sorry, I'm getting confused between the different and, and crocheted he, animals. He, he guards downstairs. <laughs> so, um, sadly, actually, I, don't, I haven't told you this yet, um, but Beth is now really upset. Because now what happens is, whenever any of her girlfriends find out that I crochet, I go up in their estimation. They think <laughs> that I'm amazing. And so now Beth feels even more in my shadow um, than she already does feel because she just does blankets. She doesn't do just blankets. Things. Blankets are great. Dude, they're blankets like actually they're rectangles. They it's like paper made out of wool. Like, that's all they are. That can't be hard. It's like paper made out of wool. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> You, you disturb me, Brody. Your biased <laughs> opinions. Says the manly crochet. Yeah, yeah, that is me. Hey, ESA, good to, good to uh, talk to you and, you know, catch up. We're here, Brody and Matt. Now now rested, I'll have you know. Just and, ready for the and, week off. And able, <laughs> shut up. And able to serve you today by being at this podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> I get Brody to pray for us and then we'll launch into leading the group. Hey? Sounds good. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your great kindness into, uh, through your Son, Jesus, who has given us life and uh, has given us a sure hope of life to come. Father, we pray that today as we chat and as we think about this study, uh, last week's and next week's, we pray that you would give us wisdom and that our preparations collectively would serve your people and serve you well. Amen. Amen. Well, guys, we are, as usual, doing two things today. We're leading the group. Uh, and then we're teaching the text, uh, and today's leading the group, we'll be looking at growing group culture, and then in teaching the text, we're going to hit up chapter 11 in Hebrews and think about faith. Um, so first, let's think about leading the group. Um, a bit of a review from last week. Um, not much to say on this, um, not only because I was away, <laughs> <laughs> um, but because you guys are doing really well. Um, it was a good study, so thank you to those who wrote it. Um, and I just want to say that the studies that are in your land of the plane, you were very thoughtful about what needed the time and where. And so a lot of you uh, were quite wise in just pushing through the, the early, early questions on Hebrews 10 and actually getting to the second half where we started to think about what it looked like to apply. And so I think this week out of all the other weeks that we've done so far, um, I saw a better application. I saw people actually thinking a bit more about what that might be. Uh, I still want to say that it was a bit simplistic, uh, and we were saved by the fact that the passage is quite specific. Uh, so it's not just saying, you know, be confident, remain assured, but it actually had a few things, um, specific things this time around. In verse 24 of the chapter, let us consider how we can stir one another up to love and good works. 
uh, and then also not neglecting to meet with one another, which is the one that most people pulled out of the passage, which is really helpful. Um, if I was to say one thing of improvement um, based on that, those applications, I would say go deeper. When people say, oh, we need to stir one another up, you ask how. How can we practically do that? Get, like, get concrete like we talked about a couple of weeks ago and we talked about applying well. Um, so that's just something to think about. Um, another thing I want to say before we kind of get into the new content too is that uh, I've noticed and you would have as well that people are dropping off as we get towards the end of semester. Uh, and that can be really discouraging for you as the leader, uh, partly because you're wondering, hang on a minute, is this me? Um, and partly because you don't have control over it. Um, you can call people up, you can ask them to come, you can ask to care and see if you can pray for them, but ultimately you aren't in control of people's decisions or their ability to manage stress um, or their workload at this stage. And so you just kind of feel, it just feels pretty crap. I mean, you would have experienced that on campus. Yeah, it's, it's kind of part and parcel of ministry on campus, I think. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's a long semester. Mm. Yeah. People get tired and especially towards the end, you feel the weight of everything bearing mm. down at you. People often are a bit less committed towards the end. Yeah, and the difference is that you as leaders don't have the option to get out. So it's... Unlike Matt. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> but the point being that actually it's really is in this space to get judgmental. So uh, just as a pastoral warning to you as the leader, um, make sure that you work hard at caring for those who have been entrusted to you. Be pastors like we talked about last week. Uh, but now is a good, a good opportunity, particularly as you've got the week off, uh, to maybe even just take half an hour and, and send out some messages, maybe call one or two people you haven't seen, just to see how they're doing and see if you can't bring them back in for those last three weeks. But I do want to normalise it and say to you that this is normal um, and that it's just one of the frustrating elements of working in student ministry. And, and it may, may be that it isn't a godly thing for some of those people to mm. not be showing up. Like, it, you know, be sympathetic and understanding and, you know. But you do need loving. to put the hard word in yeah. to some of them too. Obviously, like the ones who only turned out one or two weeks at the beginning, sure, maybe not. But you, you'll know the, the people who are of a certain maturity of faith because of the amount of times they've come and what they've contributed. Mm. Uh, and therefore, you should weigh whether or not you should properly say, hey, I want you here. Mm. Or you might find out that there was things you didn't know about. Mm. Maybe something's happened to the family, maybe they're on prac, who knows. But that's just some things to be thinking about in that space. Uh, let's shift gears and talk a bit about growing group culture. Um, let me give you a bit of an overview. I've skimmed through two books that we have mentioned at various points in this podcast. Uh, the Growth Groups book by Colin Marshall, um, and then another book called Leading Better Bible Studies, uh, which is sort of like growth groups on steroids. Uh, it's sort of like the advanced version. Uh, and both of those um, books describe a couple of things to be aware of with group culture. I haven't listed everything from both of them, but I've kind of put together the things that I think are relevant for us. Because um, when we talk about group culture, what are we, what are we talking about? Mm. Are we talking about moss in a Petri dish, for example? Well, I was thinking we were talking about wine and cheese and, you know, fine art. Yeah, and if only that was allowed at the university campus. <laughs> um, well, they do have art exhibitions. And incidentally, one of our EOC members went to that and, and randomly met a guy and invited him and got him to come to a Bible talk. So there you go. This is why we need culture. Yeah, that's in our exactly Bible right. Stuff. Uh, but another helpful reminder to even wherever you are, be thinking about how you can be making connections for Jesus. But no, when we talk about group culture, I, I think the best way to think about it is, is community um, or relationship or family. Like what is it that brings a, a group of people together that may not have known each other at the beginning of the semester and actually forges relationships and commitments to one another 
that are not only wholesome but desired. It's kind of the characteristics of the group in a way. You know, what, what does the group look like? How does it behave? What are yeah. the things yeah. that just kind of... It's, it's almost like, you know, I don't know, when you're less mature, writing that list of what you want in your partner. Um, here are the, the 17 you guys can't things. Pick up. Matt had one of those lists. Oh, that is not true. I, I remember it. No, I did. There were, there, were, there were four things. And they were good <laughs> things. They were all got to do with godliness um, and Christian faith. So we can talk about that another time. Maybe you can come talk to me about that later. I don't know. How has this happened? I've almost become the dating guru of have EOC. You? The reason for it is I gave a dating talk at NYC. Oh, well, there you go. There you and go, then yeah, two, two talks ago at the EOC Bible Talks, I actually structured the sermon based on breakup lines. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah, man, yeah. I gotta catch up. I wish that was original, though. I stole it off Tom Habib. Anyway, the point being that you really want to be thinking about what makes a, a, a group healthy, what's a good community. Uh, and the five things that we've got pulled from these books are as follows. The first um, is clarity of purpose and expectations. Uh, the group needs to know what it's on about. So it needs to be clear on its purpose and expectations. And, and if you don't remember, we treated that in the first episode of this semester's leaders podcast so you can go back and have a listen to that in your own time uh, the second is ownership uh, ownership being that they're committed to the group they think they're a part of it and a necessary part of it and they want it to succeed and it's it's their group it's not yeah. the leaders group it's, yeah. it's our group yeah and, and that's actually really significant isn't it because if if it's just the leaders group then you know it's like oh do i need to be here there's no sense of uh, need there's no desire yeah, and there's no accountability to, for me to be. Uh, it could be part of the problem for some of those people who aren't showing up towards the end of the semester. Yeah. So um, some some thoughts maybe, Brody, like how, how would you s generate ownership mm. um, in a group? Yeah, I think it's really important that people feel comfortable when, when they're in the group and they're on board with what the group is all about. So that's kind of the first point as well, the expectations and the purpose mm -hmm. of the group. If people feel like they've had a say about what they want the group to be like and that when they're there their opinion is valued and and valid and mm. you know they, they can actually i don't know they're not just visiting they're yeah actually this is their group i think i think that kind of forms that ownership a little bit yeah and you've started to build on something that can happen in an ongoing sense because you can only start once mm. but you can continue multiple times and one of them is actually making sure that they feel like they are contributing to the the group mm. we're not trying to stroke egos here but what we're actually trying to show them is a theological reality that as a member of the body they have something to contribute mm. um, and so affirming what they're saying um, calling on them to say asking them for their opinions even though that might be counterintuitive because you're like maybe you're freaking them out they're at least showing them that oh they actually want to hear what i yeah. think and as much as you're like we definitely have an agenda in bible study we're reading mm -hmm. the bible but we want to be open to going in the direction that the members want to go. Yeah. You know, yeah. so we're always going to study the Bible. That's not going to change. And we're going to reach the conclusions at the end. Hopefully they'll be the same. But the way that you get there should reflect the contributions that your group makes. And, mm. you know, we've talked about that before. Yeah, yeah. And I've noticed actually in a few of our leaders, which has been really good, uh, you've taken up an example I gave you a number of weeks ago about... Um, when you summarize, actually saying mm. it's just like Jerry said, or it's just like Sandy said. Mm. Um, and I've just been really uh, encouraged by that because you're actually showing them that the group has arrived at a conclusion using multiple contributions. And it doesn't feel fake. It doesn't feel like the leader had all the answers and that when you're there in the group, you're, John, you're trying to guess what the leader thinks. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. You're actually working it out together. Mm. 
And that's the conclusion that we've come to as a group. Yeah, yeah. Um, some other thoughts on that, um, because ownership also really kind of revolves around relationships. There, there is a kind of a relational indebtedness to one another. Uh, just a, a few quick things, like practical tips that might help you build that ownership and that sense of group identity. Um, one of them is a WhatsApp group. Now, I know a number of... Wow, you're so advanced in the technology. Well, no, I'm just copying what the, some of the Do students... Do you use the Facebook as well? Yeah, 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 the Facebook. I actually happen to know that it's called Messenger. That's how good I am, and I've got it on my phone. Um, but I, this isn't a, this is not me being up on it. I'm actually just stealing this from what I've seen a number of the groups already doing. And they, they have a functioning WhatsApp group or a messenger group by which they can send updates and stuff. I want to encourage you, um, even those of you who have those groups, to be using it um, more cleverly. Because it's not just for notifications. Why don't you start using the WhatsApp group as a place to throw out prayer points midweek? Um, you, you as the leader could start it. You could just, you know, say, well, my Bible says on Thursday, I'm going to plan something on the Monday and I'm just going to send out a message just saying, hey guys, this has just happened or I appreciate prayer for this. And it's a way of stimulating an awareness in them as well as a calling to, the, to them to kind of contribute mm. of the group as it functions. Well, you could try um, putting up an article or something that you've read that's related to something you've talked about in the group. It, it just helps to make the group not just be about Two o'clock on one Wednesday. Hour. That's exactly right. You know, it's actually, we are a group that, that meets together at that time, but we actually have this group all the time. Mm -hmm. um, some other things, um, I've mentioned this in previous weeks before too, um, sometimes go on the tangent. Um, if it's theological, all the better because it tells you that you're listening to the needs and the desires of the group members. But sometimes the tangent is about what happened to Jimmy at the shops and that's why he's got a giant scab on his face or whatever it is. Um, sometimes letting those tangents and those jokes play out is actually really helpful for people feeling secure, feeling mm. like they belong, feeling like they enjoy being here. Mm. Um, and so injecting a bit of fun into things is never a bad thing. I remember leading a, a Bible study group when I was a student, uh, and every week I'd send out the reminder message, and I'd also say, um, you know, brownie points or a free chocolate bar to whoever brings me the stave of Orion. And so like, I mean, it was a bit nerdy and I won't say do this, but basically it was just like, get creative. And so people would bring sticks to Bible study and I would judge which was the actual state of Orion or, you know, the orb of seeing or whatever it was. Look, that works particularly for Matt. Yeah, and it works, it for, be something and else it works for a particular group as well. But it's just trying to think of something that could be a bit fun. Like, for example, at NYC with the larger group, what did I do? I got Harold. And now everybody oh, dropped him. Um, and, and now everybody and now everybody loves Harold. But but like who cares about Harold, right? The the issue what? is the oh. issue is that it brought the group together because it was a shared thing of fun. Um, some other things, uh, you could go out on an outing. Um, maybe that looks like let's just go to um, Hungry Jacks or, or Macca's or something. <laughs> Classy, after. we're bringing the culture. Yeah, 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 we are bringing the culture. Um, or alternatively and more seriously, um, prayer. So actually getting them to pray regularly in pairs together, um, even kind of establishing prayer relationships um, could be an example of that. Or on top of that, you could actually have extraordinary prayer. So, you know, if somebody is particularly struggling with something um, or has a particular cause on their heart, actually taking some time at the end of the study to pray for them mm. as a way of showing that we care for our members. Or at the start, you know, when everyone rocks up and you find out, sorry, find out, Find out. You said find out the first time. Did I? Yeah, I think there's something wrong in your brain. You've thought that for a long time. <laughs> but you I, know, I've known that for a long time. <laughs> you, you find out that someone's had something going on and 
you know, they've talked about it, why not just stop right there and, and pray for it? Yeah. So those are some examples. Um, we're going to speed through, because we're only on number two of five here in terms of things that you want in your group culture. The, for so far, we've seen clarity of purpose and expectations. We've seen ownership. Um, the, the third is participation. And we've talked about that in terms of generating discussion and handling contributions. The fourth is openness. And this is the other one I want to just spend a bit of time on. Um, if your group doesn't develop trust with one another, it will remain shallow uh, and it will remain uninteresting. And people won't want to be there. Uh, and so what we want to be doing is seeking ways to develop trust. Now, trust is a gradual process. It's not something you can just do and then all of a sudden you've got it. Um, but essentially, you need to be thinking of ways to build trust. Um, I don't know whether you've got any ideas offhand, Brody, because I've got one or two in the back of my head here. Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking of some friends who started a Bible study, and I think their first week, they went around the circle to share something, you know, getting to know people. Mm -hmm. And it just so happened that these leaders had suffered a miscarriage just recently, and that was what they shared. And it meant, I mean, I feel like that could go one of two ways. Yeah, it, it might be, be too really hard bad. too but soon. at least in this group, and maybe they already knew each other a little bit, mm -hmm. so that helped. But at least in this group, it meant that everyone who came after them shared quite deeply. And I think that affected the group for the rest of the time. Now, I'm not saying go ahead and overshare and spell out your deepest, darkest secrets. But there is something to the leader modeling a depth or an honesty. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's really significant. Um, and so you as the leaders have a great deal of control as to how honest and reflective your groups are. And the way that you control that is to you yourself consistently each week offering those own thoughts and reflections. Mm. Um, so I think that's really important. Um, but you can do it in other ways and in stimulating other things. Um, so one of them uh, could be asking particular questions and actually going around the circle, like Brody said, that are just a little bit dangerous. They're called dangerous questions in my mind. Ones that people might feel uncomfortable answering, but aren't so threatening that they would just completely clam up. Mm. Um, so an example of that might be, can you think of a time where you doubted your faith? Um, that might be too full on, but I think generally most people will have something that's safe to offer in that space and go, yeah, I remember when this happened in mm -hmm. high school and somebody told me this. I just didn't know what to do with that. It just took me a while to figure that one out. Um, and sometimes you can do that in a way that isn't confronting. You can ask mm -hmm. that question and instead of going around and every person has to share something, opening it up to the group and then there's a freedom there. I can say something, but I, I don't have to. Yeah. The, the, the problem with doing it that way, though, is that sometimes you only get one or two shallow sharers and there's not much you can do about that. So yeah. there are times to make it compulsory. If you can queue it up with someone, a co-leader or something, yeah, 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 and then yeah, to yeah. share something, that, that does set a precedent. Then. Yeah, it does. Maybe that's a helpful way to go. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's another example. Um, you can also, the way that you respond to people in the groups, so for people who aren't confident Bible readers who have a crack at it, just being really encouraging at the end, like you can tell the people who don't know how to read and aren't confident to read well. Um, same with people who pray um, or people who when asked to read or pray just kind of go oh no then just go no no, no you can do it it's fine like no, no one's going to judge you here or as in one case a couple of weeks ago I crashed one of the girls bible studies and I dobbed in a girl who um, wasn't contributing much and at that time it was really obvious that she didn't want to read and I said okay I'll tell you what I'll go halves with you I'll take the hard half and you can take the unhard half and that was enough to at least get her contributing and risking something uh, and was an opportunity for the group to show that we didn't care. Mm. 
Um, sometimes it's helpful to have different modes of being able to contribute as well. So for someone, it might be really hard to pray in front of a group. They've never really done it before. Mm -hmm. But being able to write out a prayer and then read it out might give them time to think about what they want to say and, and not on the spot have to come up with it. Yeah. That kind of thing can be helpful. So, so yeah, so those are just some examples of how you might generate openness in your group. Mm. Um, and then the fifth thing for group, growing group culture is achievement. In other words, achieving your purposes. And we're going to talk about that in two weeks' time. So, just to summarise, clarity of purpose and expectations, ownership, participation, openness, and then achievement. Mm. Um, and just as a side note before we shift to teaching the text, you might be wondering why we're doing this so late, because it's kind of a bit hard to implement all these things in the next two or three weeks, and we completely get it. It's just the reality is that we couldn't do everything in the first week, and so some things, all of the things really, are things to know at the beginning of the year, and it's, this is just where this one fell. So yeah. this and, is more and the reality is you can't take it all in. If we hit you up with, you know, a 10-hour podcast of all the things that you know about Bible study reading, you, you're going to forget most of it, right? That's exactly right. So, you know, you can start to implement some of these things. You won't see great change in your group culture for this time around, but... Well, hey, who knows? Well, yeah, that's true. You don't know. Um, so with that in mind, um, let's shift to teaching the text. Now's the time to pause and read the passage if you haven't. It's Hebrews 11 through to chapter 12, verse 3. Um, and then after you've read it, have a go at summarising with the overview box. And you're back. Welcome back. <laughs> Spare me. All right. Um, let's have a look at today's study. Um, courtesy of Renee, special thank you to Renee for getting it done um, when she thought that she had to get it done for this time next week. Uh, it's enabled both myself and Brody to have a full week off, which is really kind and thoughtful. And apparently Matt needs them, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> shut up. Just <laughs> shut up. All right. Um, let's have a look. Uh, the passage is Hebrews 11 uh, to 12 verse 3. Uh, what is the passage about? Well, here's what we've got. Uh, by persevering in faith, we, along with all God's people of the past, Receive what God promised, which is a homeland. I'll write that again. I'll read that again. By persevering in faith, we, along with all God's people of the past, receive what God promised, a homeland. Mm. Um, yeah. Now, in the past, we've talked a little bit about the we and them language, not reading yourself into the text too quickly. And that's still true, but we have used we here. Man, I'm not sure whether you did that consciously or not, but I think it works. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm just going to go with it. Yes, yeah, I, cool. I did it consciously, yeah, Brody. Yeah. <laughs> it works, right? So in this passage, you would have noticed as you read through that there's a lot of history. There's a lot of your Old Testament references kind of going all throughout. And it comes to the end, and now it's saying, and we, not we, you and I, but actually we, the author of Hebrews and the people he's writing to. Uh, but that we, I think, does include us. Mm. Um, it, it's not... A specific situation it's talking about those who have faith in christ after christ and i think that means well we're still in the same age so i think there's a, a smaller gap there that we need to bridge yeah particularly because it is talking about a trajectory of salvation history mm. as it examines all these men and women of faith um, in the lead up to christ mm. who then not only models it for us but founds our faith perfects our faith and then kind of flows on from him to everyone who follows after mm. uh, we're in this long stream and tradition of faith, mm. um, which is why the passage, by persevering in faith, we, along with all God's people, um, receive the same thing. Mm. Um, now, let's draw out a few of these things. Um, persevering in faith is obviously the, the key thing. 
Uh, we know that for a few reasons. The, the way that the passage ends and applies in chapter 12 is a therefore. Therefore is kind of looking back at all of the examples he's given because he says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, um, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that clings and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And so there is a real call to endure in faith, mm. um, which is really significant. But what's interesting is that there is... There is a merging of two different categories of people. Those who had faith um, but didn't receive what was promised uh, in their lifetime and those of us who have faith who will, along with those people who didn't initially receive it, will together receive what God has promised. Yeah, we talked a little bit before, um, Matt and I, about what's kind of going on there. So throughout chapter 11, it comes up a few times that uh, the, the author's reminding them that they didn't receive, these, these people from the Old Testament, they didn't receive what they were promised. So they died in faith in verse 13. Uh, it comes up a couple of times. Mm. But then in verse 39 and 40, it's, uh, they, they were approved, but they didn't receive, since actually they would not be made perfect without us. Uh, there's actually a, there's a, a change that's going on there. Mm. And there's something very significant about we who were born in the last ages, post-Jesus. Um, a privileged uh, position, really. Yeah, very much so. Uh, and what happens is these, these men and women stand as a, a cloud of witnesses, so examples um, upon which we can look to and see that, yeah, verse 39, they were commended for their faith. Uh, and though they didn't receive what was promised, there was a reason for that. It's because God was going to provide something better for all of us together at the end. Uh, and so that shouldn't dissuade us, that they died without receiving the things promised, chapter 11, verse 13. But it should actually encourage us, by their example, to ourselves persevere in the faith. Mm. Um, so I want to shift then to the why of the passage. We'll come back to the what God promised thing in a second, I think. Um, the why of the passage uh, is quite simply to exhort the Hebrews to endure in their faith. Mm. Now, again, that sounds really simplistic and it sounds like what we've written um, in all the previous weeks of Bible study, but this is actually particularly significant, and we can pay attention to the nuances of the passage this week. So the why of the passage is to exhort the Hebrews to endure in their faith. Uh, why is that the reason? Well, we can actually find it out at the end of chapter 10, um, when he tells us uh, in verse 35, Therefore do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. And then he goes on and says, My righteous shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. And then the final verse in chapter 10, But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, <clears throat> but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. And by the same measure, in chapter 12, after our passage, it goes on to talking about enduring, uh, especially against sin and enduring suffering. Uh, it seems like that that's, that's a theme that continues on. Uh, this is... This is really the situation that's behind what's going on. Yeah. There's a context for the Hebrews where they're struggling against sin and suffering, perhaps, and they're tempted to give up. Mm. And so we saw that last week in chapter 10. Don't give up. Every reason not to give up. Make sure you stay the course. Here in chapter 11, there's a, another explanation, another call to that endurance. Mm. And it's actually from looking at the example of many who have gone before. Yeah, and there's a few things that are happening here. Like, he's called them to endure in faith, and then he spends all of chapter 11 with these examples. And there are a few things happening. The first of all is that 
Um, he is using inspirational stories to show us what has happened and that we can do it too. So this is not actually kind of just um, emotional kind of fluffing and, and trying to get you all psyched up, but actually showing us that we, we are part of a deep tradition in history of people who have faith. But I want you to notice some of the nuances because he's not just using examples of you know previous Christians. This guy was a Christian, this guy was a Christian. He actually, at the very beginning of the chapter, defines what faith is for us. Now, there are a whole bunch of different ways we can understand faith. I talked about it a bit when we looked at Romans chapter 4 a number of weeks ago in the Bible talks. And we talked about faith as having an object and based on the words of somebody, in this case, the promise of God. But here it describes faith as the assurance of things hoped for and the convictions of things not seen. And so there are some similarities there. In fact, the author here uses Abraham as an example, just as Paul does in Romans 4, of looking at something that seemed impossible, but trusting that God could do the impossible. Um, but here the emphasis is on what is unseen. So in all of the cases, and this is a good exercise to do, and I think I'm going to modify one of the questions slightly to bring this out a bit more. Look for the patterns. How is it that Abel, how is it that Noah or Abraham or Moses um, fit with the pattern of being sure of something that they cannot see. Mm. And what is it that they cannot see? Well, in their particular examples, they've got a whole bunch. So Noah uh, couldn't see the events of the flood coming. coming. Abraham couldn't see the, the place that he was going to. Sarah couldn't see the child that she would have. But there is a real emphasis, um, both in chapter 11, verse 10, uh, and then again in verse 13 and onwards about a homeland, which kind of brings us back to that final thing. What is it that God promised? What is it that we can't see but that we're heading towards? Well, in verse 10, it is a city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. And then in verse 13, uh, we are strangers and exiles on earth because we are seeking a homeland. Uh, and that homeland, verse 16, is a heavenly country, uh, one in which God has prepared for us a city. And so there is, it's like a resting place. This is going back to Hebrews chapter 3 and chapter 4, whereby we are heading to this place where we can finally put down roots and rest mm. and, and be where God promised he would take us. Mm. And there's, there's also, I wonder if there's a hint of relationship throughout mm -hmm. it as well. I haven't talked about this with you No, you haven't, but, but throw it out. Well, yeah, I'm just thinking faith, it's not just a trusting the empirical data or trusting what's something like it's actually trusting a person mm, mm. and throughout it it's a lot of the time it's the relationship to god or the way that they obeyed god or the way that they trusted god that that's what's emphasized yeah yeah and i think it's really key to remember that like the remember the promise of inheriting the land actually hinges on offspring and blessing uh, that was the means through which uh, God's people would reach the promised land through Abraham, he'd have a child, and that child would then go on. It's just really interesting then to see the examples of faith. Um, Abraham goes out to a land that he doesn't know. Sarah is looking for a child that she can't have. But then through uh, that one man, this is verse 12, him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven. Uh, and then going on to Abraham again, he's forced to, to um, kill his son Isaac. That doesn't eventuate. Uh, but again, there's this trusting in God that his promise to fulfill the destiny of the people that would come through Abraham will happen irrespective of what God commands them to do. Yeah, you can jump ahead to Moses. He's not afraid in verse 27 of the king's anger, but persevered as one who sees him who is invisible. There's this relationship where they have a relationship of trust and obedience to God, which 
really is, I think, the basis of the faith. Yeah. Even as the object is perhaps mm. this land that they're they're going to. Yeah, and and significant because um, as it unfolds, you realize that whilst in the immediate sense they their faith is being proved true and God is following through for them, they still haven't received what was promised. And we get to this point where in verses thirty two to thirty eight, they're just getting spanked, like. Like, no, no matter what happens, like, they're, they're just suffering, and, and yet they're holding on, and you're kind of left with this question, well, hang on a minute, like, they, they didn't even get the child that Abraham got promised, or Moses, you know, survived Pharaoh, these guys got sawn in two. Yeah, I was like, where does that come from? You know, that's, like, it's the Roman Colosseum. Right, they used to, like, all sorts of horrible things. Um, they got sewn up in animal skins and thrown in the, the arena for wild animals to eat them, and, and those sorts of stuff was horrible. Mm. Um, and so hence verse 39, all these though commended through their faith, so they're not, they didn't do the wrong thing, they did the right thing, they pleased God, um, they didn't receive what was promised. Uh, and yet verse 40, God has provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. And so there is still a guarantee, which then leads us to, I think, the application of the passage in verses 1 to 3, which is therefore in light of their examples, run with endurance, mm. um, and the key thing that we haven't highlighted at all at this point um, is the centerpiece of that, which is Jesus. Um, we are to run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. And note here that he's called the founder and perfecter of our faith. He's not called the model of our faith. He is certainly modeling faith because the next phrase there is, for who for the joy set before him endured the cross, there's that same endurance language, despising the shame and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. But the thing that I, I want to emphasize here is that Jesus is first and foremost the founder and perfecter of our faith. And that is why we set our eyes on him as we run the race of faith. And that's why now, after him, it's, it's not without us that those saints who went before can be made perfect. Mm. It's actually once we've seen Jesus and we've understood how God's promises will be fulfilled through him, that we can actually, you know, be caught up with all those saints from the past and actually brought into the fulfillment of that promise. Mm. Still waiting for it, but also sharing in some of its blessings now as yeah. well. Yeah, which is really just tremendous, I mm. think. Because mm. I think the fact that he gives us the faith, he founds it, but he also perfects it, um, is really comforting as well, particularly as we kind of face the overwhelming doubt of an unseen victory and unseen homeland that we can come to mm. and even as we have it good in australia often we, we do still suffer and you look around the world and yeah. see people who are continually suffering for their faith yeah you know, where's where's god's you know re redeeming them and and giving what he promised to them well actually we're still seeing god's faithfulness here in this passage yeah and i for one am looking forward to getting there frankly mm. the older i get the more i want it um, and so with that in mind let's just quickly summarize the main point and the big question the main point, therefore, is we must persevere in faith in Jesus if we are to receive what God promised. We must persevere in faith in Jesus if we are to receive what God promised. And then the big question, um, Renee wrote, um, are you running the race marked out for you? I've changed that slightly. I've changed it to how will you run the race marked out for you? Mm -hmm. uh, again, I, I'm trying to avoid the yes, no, are you a Christian, are you not a Christian kind of, um, kind of application. I'm trying to get to the concrete, uh, which is why I put the how. How will you run? Um, at which point we can then talk practical examples about how we'll look to the witnesses of faith, we'll look to Jesus, um, 
will be inspired, will be encouraged, will be um, affirmed. Mm-hmm. And it also gives you, gives you room there to ask, how are you going at doing it yeah. in the first place? Yeah. You know, do a bit of a self-check kind of thing. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I think that's all we've got for you today, guys. Um, so, a happy prepping. I hope that this encourages you, first and foremost, and challenges your own heart before you challenge others with that same word. And our prayer is that all of us will persevere in the faith that Christ has brought to us. And that perhaps even our names could be added to the list of those who will stand, not, you know, perhaps in the same category, but still witnessing to the faith that God gives and is pleased with. That is certainly the goal. How about I pray? Father in heaven, thank you so much for just so many examples that you provided for us. Uh, through your people in the past so that we are not left without guidance and without encouragement. I pray that you will give us endurance, that we will endure like our saviour, like our founder, like our perfected Jesus, uh, and that he, his example, his power, his work uh, will be the thing that helps us get to the end where we receive what you promised, which is a homeland along with all of the rest of your people that we can finally rest in and enjoy you forever. And it's in Jesus' name who guarantees this, we pray. Amen. Amen.